0: Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Want to thank our friends, Louisiana Hot Sauce, as always, for being the title sponsor of the Knollcast. Even in the roughest of times, Louisiana's there to spice up a bland dish or just give you some some low-calorie flavor. uh, And it's a fantastic partner, somebody we're fortunate to be able to work with. And with that, Bud, let's get into a podcast. Who knows? This, this could last two hours. This could last 25 minutes. Uh, we'll just see where this takes us, try to have an open conversation, give you an idea about ULM, put a bow on that, talk uh, broadly about the future of the program, and have a nice little uh, null cast recap here.
1: Absolutely, man. Uh, first of all, I thought you did a great job on the instant reaction. As I was going through things I wanted to talk about tonight, I was like, well, Ingram already discussed this, and he already discussed this, and that, and uh, I guess we'll start out that Florida State made my most disappointing team of the week list. Every week I go through and I look at teams that failed to cover the spread by a lot. Not the worst Power 5 team out there. That was Syracuse, which failed to to cover its spread against Maryland by 42 points. That's, That's six touchdowns if you're scoring at home. And not the second worst P5 team, Arizona State, 23 points off their spread. They really screwed around with a FCS team in Sac State. Uh, but Florida State, third on the list there among the P5 teams. 22 points off their projected spread. They did cover the first half, uh, and they also covered their team total, but uh, did not cover the game. And look, I think this, to me, Vegas has no emotion. And it's always good to say, okay, like, how bad was this loss, really? Uh, or this game, really? We try to analyze games on the quality of play, win or lose, right? That's why we were down after Boise, but not maybe quite as down as, you know, as, as some outlets. This was significantly worse than Boise, I I would think. The spread indicates that it was, too. It was kind of disappointing performance on, on both sides of the ball. And I'm not trying to say, like, oh, both sides here. But, yeah, there, there were some really disappointing things on both sides. We're going to get to the defense in a little bit. I, I wanted to start a little bit tonight. Uh, with offense to discuss some things that I'm seeing that are concerning and some things that maybe you could build on. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we do have so many questions from our loyal listeners, a lot of them coming from our, our Patreon supporters as well. But first thing, we thought Florida State should rack up about eight yards of play against Louisiana Monroe's defense. Louisiana Monroe does not have a good defense at all, it was missing its best pass rusher, and his backup uh, was out of the game with a shoulder injury. So you would think Florida State would be able to put up some explosive plays uh, and, and really move the ball efficiently, and yet uh, it, really, it really lacked explosive plays. Uh, the run game had a little bit of explosiveness, but not anything special, right? Just, just kind of average. Uh, and against Louisiana Monroe, I thought it actually lacked some explosiveness. I wanted to see better downfield blocking on some of the Akers runs. Uh, the passing game really lacked explosiveness. Just, just not a good day for the offense here. And, and people are going to say, "Oh, they scored 45 points." Yeah, they they did, uh, but they only scored what 38 in regulation. Look, 38 in regulation at home when you get 16 drives against Louisiana Monroe, that's a bad performance. And I know this is the take that probably nobody else out there in the four state media are going to give you, but that's only two. 0.4 points per possession against Louisiana Monroe at home. That's not good at all, right? That is probably 20 to 30 percent under what I think this team should do. I, I think this team should score high 40s, 50s in regulation against Louisiana Monroe, and I have a lot of concerns about the offense going forward because it, it, it failed to do so. Started out with a a really good um, first quarter. And then the next two quarters, actually, everybody's focusing on the second half, but the, the collapse started in, Q, in, in Q2. 31% success rate in Q2. It was actually their worst quarter uh, of, of the day, despite the fact that they scored. They basically had the ball from one of those first first quarter drives, you know, still had it and punched it in. After that, in the second quarter, the offense was trash and, and really did not do a good job there. But lack of explosive plays. Check this out. No receiver caught a 20-yard pass. Man, that, is, that to me is a major red flag going forward about this offense. And everybody wants to focus on the defense and be very negative about the defense. No receiver caught a 20-plus yard pass. This offense in no way can be consistent enough to rely on success rate, right, and consistency in grinding out drives. It has got to be able to create explosive plays. It did not do so. Uh, and, and against better teams, if that continues, it's going to be a major problem. If you look at the success rate for target as far as the targeted receivers, Tamari and Terry, only 56% success rate. D.J. Matthews, 75%. Ontario Wilson, weirdly here, 33% uh, success rate when he was targeted. When I was watching, I was like, ah, he's having an okay game. And yet, only a 33% success rate. Uh, Cam Akers, 20% success rate on throws. Now, granted, one was was really good. Uh, Treshawn Harrison, 100% success rate. So that was... That was cool there, but just your yard, yards per target on these guys, pretty much all except for Trayshawn, were, were really low. And, uh, and that's not a good sign to me going forward. I think one of the areas that we're seeing here, which is concerning to me, is that UL Monroe came out, they were largely playing off, right? They, they wanted to take away that stuff. Um, FSU did a good job to take advantage of some of the shorter stuff initially. In the game, ULM came up and challenged a little bit, and they basically, I think, were saying, okay, we don't think y'all can pass protect well enough to get some time to go down the field, and we're going to take away this short stuff. And what was scary is they were kind of right. Uh, that that was that was concerning to me. Here's another weird thing, and I want to know what you make of this, because I've looked at it, and I don't really fully understand why this happened. On, on regular down and distance, so first down, 2nd and 7 are better, or 3rd and 4 are better, right? 17 of 26 for 145 yards, which is a terrible 5.1 yards per attempt, and only one pick. 2nd and 8-plus, and 3rd and 5-plus, right? So passing downs, the downs in which we expect this offensive line to really crater and this offense to struggle a lot because it doesn't have the advantage of play action, RPO game, etc., Thirteen of fourteen, nine yards in attempt. <laughs> what in the hell?
0: It's a it's an interesting assortment of stats. I and to get back to a point you just made, I, I do think that defensive coordinators are going to cover the middle, cover the put basically put a put an umbrella over the offense and play the play the slot machine at the at one point in time. One member of the offensive line is going to implode impressively with, in the you know play of one to two to three plays, and consistently really make Florida State earn it. Part of that could possibly pair with the stats that you're talking about. Whereas in traditional passing yards, they're they're giving you as as difficult to look possible and, and daring you to kind of try to make you beat beat them with patience or a prolonged drive, but it's an interesting set of a set of stats and it's a interesting set of stats that dare I say, uh, will in no way, shape or form
1: hold throughout any kind of larger sample size. So James Blackman, Willie Taggart discussed, he thought he made better reads and decisions against, uh, against, uh, M. Monroe than he did against Boise state. I, I have a little bit of, of a question about that. First of all, I would have liked the scene more, more deep shots right i they only really took three like shots that went in the air more than twenty yards maybe four but just just not good overall uh on on the day just you know some interceptions that were very poor and ball security was was an issue yet again so you know just like I don't think he's a huge negative at the position, but I don't think he's an enormous plus right now running backs. Cam Akers was a stud. Hit the right holes, consistent, yards after contact, was decisive. And yet, it's really concerning to me that he needed, what, 36 carries, I think it was, to uh, to get that done? Yeah, man, that's... You, know,
0: you got all, all the ingredients necessary for somebody like Cam Akers to, uh, to carry a whole lot of... <laughs> get used to it cam with a with a coach where he is uh you got to get simple you got to get the best player on the field as much as possible and i don't necessarily love it for him and it's scary as hell that we had to put it in his hands 36 times
1: against ULM but uh i i think that may be a little bit of the plan moving forward they have to keep giving him the ball i i think because good things do seem to happen when they get in the ball but they they do have to find a way like we said to create explosive plays in the pass game and uh, they really need to get Tamari and Terry going and, and and literally have him make a bigger impact. Because right now, he's not dominating or, or even coming close to, to making that positive of an impact. I'm not 100% sure if, if that uh, if that interception that was thrown to the, uh, to the east sideline was on him or if it was on Blackman. It, it does look like he has this guy beat on the stop and go, and and Blackman throws the stop, and, and Terry runs the go, which is a good recipe to throw pick six, which is exactly what happened. But, uh, yeah, they, they need to get more out of him. Some people had asked us what happened to all the receiver screens. A lot of that was that, that Louisiana Monroe started covering him up a little bit, and you don't throw receiver screens when the guys are covered because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do so. Like I said, I like what we saw from TreShaun Harrison. The o line, man, I feel like we talk about it this every week because the, the thing doesn't change. Their depth is is pretty uh, it's pretty suspect. And when Juwan Williams went out,
0: never did I value you like quite before, although Bello, Bello had a nasty first couple series, uh, but somewhat had an uptick. Baby, baby uptick.
1: Yeah, I- exactly. Um, this offensive line is better than it was last year because they know what to do. Usually, I think they have more confidence than last year. I, I think that Randy Clements successfully built up their confidence in the off and praising them for even like the most just rudimentary of of successes. That's all. That's all well and good. Different test this week against Virginia coming up. A, a, a defense that is probably going to be able to confuse them a lot. What they're running up front right now is very simple. I think that is the right thing to do given this group's uh, collective talent and experience level. So I'm not criticizing what they're doing. I'm just noting, look, there are some issues here that are probably going to get exposed when you play better defensive lines. You know, like we said, Boise kind of whipped in the last 40 minutes of of that game up front. And you saw a little bit of youth and experience. I I think Dante Lucas uh, has the whiff on the one sack of, uh, of Blackman there in what quarter would that be? I think it was the second quarter, uh, but I'm I'm not totally sure on that. So that's the offense. Um, not really the best day from the offense. 35, 38 points in regulation, but like I said, I mean, under two and a half points per drive against against this kind of, you know, against this kind of team. That's that's pretty bad. What do you want to do now? Defense? Lord.
0: Nothing nothing but positive conversation coming from this point forward. Don't worry, folks. Uh, absolutely. Defense. Nasty. Nasty. Hard to even kind of make sense, conceptualize as to uh, how you've gotten here or how it's going to get a whole lot better than what you've seen through the first two games.
1: Yeah, so uh, defense, like you said. Now, we wanted them to allow less than five yards of play right? I, I think that's what we said. They allowed 5.3, which is kind of close to the goal. And yet they also allowed 38 points in regulation, which is not good. I saw a couple improvements on defense in this game, and I'm, I'm not... 30, 31. Not to... I don't mean to interrupt you. Oh, I'm but... sorry. Wait, 31 in regulation?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they? They went to overtime at 38, right?
1: Yeah. So it would and be, one of
0: the touchdowns was a pick six.
1: Correct. Yeah. So I, I was actually, yeah, I was going to get to that right here. So the average field position that the defense faced in the second half, and this is largely because of the offense's turnovers, the average field position the defense faced in the second half and the final drive of the first half was the ULM 45. That is really, really bad as far as a spot to put your defense in. It's even worse than what the average that they faced was last year. Now, you, you thought, okay, the defense got off to a better start in this game, and they did, actually. Uh, it, it, it's not this idea that, oh, ULM could do whatever they wanted from the start. They were just sloppy. That, that's not really true. ULM only had a 31% success rate in the first quarter. Uh, they, they lacked explosiveness. In the first quarter as well, Florida State did seem to play with some decent aggressiveness to start off the bat. Uh, however, they quickly fell back into their old bad habits, which is what we were largely concerned about. Uh, and then things started to really spiral. I, I think this is a mentally soft football team. Willie Taggart has not succeeded in flipping the culture as far as being a tough and persevering. I mean, he flipped the culture as far as like not getting arrested and. You know, going to class and things like that. Those things are legitimately better, but some of the culture stuff has not been fixed. You also see plays in which guys are just throwing up their hands like they don't know what they're doing and guys bickering back and forth after successful plays. Look, to me, that that's a major concern, right? That, sh- that shows the defense that, huh, surprise, doesn't know what it's doing, which is a bad coaching job by this defense. They went to more of, of, of the even front looks with, with a little more 4-3, than 3-4 in this game. And uh, look, there's trade-offs to this. And I know we have a really good question later on in the show, so we'll we'll talk about that. But that that's not necessarily a, a cure-all. You went to the 3-4 for a reason. Now, we can quibble over whether the reason was justified. The staff certainly thought it was at, at the time, I think. But the problem is that the linebacker play... It's just so bad. And you're seeing the same guys make the same mistakes over and over again. I thought Coach Taggart had a pretty good quote uh, from this today in, in his press conference. I'm, I'm going to read it here. And we'll see We'll see what comes of this, right? Because it may just be all talk from Coach Taggart. He said some things today that I don't really totally believe. Quote, you always evaluate it and make sure you've got the right guys in there. If guys continue to make mistakes, then shame on you if you allow them to continue to play. But you always evaluate your roster and make sure you're doing the right thing for your team. We've got to as coaches again evaluate what we're doing and make sure we've got the right people in there and make the right corrections that we need to if guys can't correct them then you put the guys in who can do that so how this works is basically like if you you got to be able to show that you can do it in practice first, but if you show that you know how to do it in practice but consistently in games you melt down well. Hell, we had an offensive lineman do that last year. Sort of, remember? Uh, The the left tackle, repeatedly? Like, different. There are guys on this defense who keep making the same mistakes. Uh, Dontavious Jackson has gone from a dude who you could at least count on to be physical. I I think you nailed this exactly in the instance. I'm not going to say this too much more because you nailed it. But, like... He's totally lost in coverage right now. They, they, they bait him far too wide every time instead of getting depth and then throw behind him. He, he's not taking on blocks. He's, he's dancing around. He's clearly a dude who does not trust what the coaches are teaching him right now, in my opinion. Otherwise, he, I think he would play with more decisiveness. And, and we had worries that, that taking on blocks would be a problem for Jaden Woodby. And, and it is, at least at times. But you, you can't have a guy like Dontavious Jackson regress and then play totally uncontrolled football, right? I mean, like you said, the the totally unacceptable personal foul penalty at a really crucial point in the game, and and flexing and stunting on dudes after they have a twelve yard gain and you tackle them. Great, guess what? That's a first down. All right, if you get a sack, dance your butt off. Don't be dancing after a first. First down carry. that That's not cool. It also sends the wrong message to your younger teammates. And, you know, the, we have talked about this some. But, like, you got to think that if they didn't have the APR situation, some of these dudes wouldn't be on the team anymore. They would have probably been encouraged to transfer out. Or when they wanted to transfer, they would not have been, you know, kind of really tried to be talked into uh, to not transferring. However, there's no rule that says you you have to play them, right? Hundred percent. Yep.
0: APR doesn't have have the damn thing to do with who gets snaps. GPA four
1: 0, snap count o is just fine with me. <laughs> all right. I mean, I man, I I'm about done with that. Like, I I don't know that. First of all, I I I picked Virginia to beat Florida State in preseason anyway, so. You know, as far as the, of the three games that they were most likely to lose to their first three, so I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this game coming up there. I think you need to bench him for at least a game, right? To to be like, hey, dude, you can't play like this, and you think you're going to the NFL, which I don't, because athletically, I don't think he's going to test real well at the combine. If you look at him in space and coverage, in, in this NFL, you have to be able to cover, and he can't. But if you think you're going to the NFL. You, you can't be doing that kind of stuff. We're going to take away your playing time. And that's your resume for the league. If that's what you care about from here on out, that's going to be taking away some. I think benching him for a game, especially an important game like UVA, it could hurt your chance of winning, honestly. Because, like, who knows? Maybe you could turn around and actually play like the guy we've seen play before. At least giving you a, a solid linebacker. But I think you got to send a message there. But... Do you think Willie's comments are potentially setting up for a bit of a youth movement?
0: Let me see how I can phrase this. Uh, during a lot of stuff, <laughs> if I'm going to dismiss, like, the hydrate comments and stuff like that, which we did collectively, didn't spend a minute on it, and I'm going to give the coach the benefit of the doubt that he just sometimes talks to talk, I I don't think it's fair for me to then try to extrapolate them things. I also think Willie says some stuff that just – he's like a lot of coaches says stuff in press conferences to get through a press conference but I'm at the point right now where I'm not going to take a whole lot of out, out of what Willie Taggart says in general uh and and have set whether his comments set the set the table for it or their play or whatever else at this point you're almost being stubborn not to bring about a youth movement I mean it's it's there's not really a debatable fact at this point you're your older players are massive, uh, or at times, and some of them, I'm not trying to label every upperclassman on the roster, but many of these guys are massive liabilities,
1: doing you no good. Got to make a change. Got to. I agree with you there. I'm not saying play all the freshmen, but I'd at least start playing them more. You know, maybe you have Dontavius not start for, for the first half. Who knows?
0: Take this time to thank our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, fortunate to be able to work with them because uh, because they're kind of cool, bud. You know they stay in touch with uh, with what the kids are interested in, and evidently seltzers all the rage. And uh, want to let our Tallahassee area listeners know that uh, you have five days left until the seltzer crawl takes place. Fifteen dollars gets you three hard seltzers and a slim can koozie. Uh, the crawl will take place between four and six. And I would encourage uh, those of you that are interested to visit Madison Social's Instagram page. uh, And always a permanent reminder that uh, being that we'll publish this tomorrow, it'll be a week away from the ever so special day that is the Reuben Day. So mark your calendars, 17th of each month. Have that in the back of your mind. But as always, uh, we thank our friends at Madison Social for the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, We could have no better partner.
1: I thought blitzing was not as good in this game. The, the, the timing of their blitzes was not as good. They didn't blitz as a team as well. They they definitely started to panic once they started to give up points. I'm sure that the field position the offense gave them, uh, and also the offense just actually surrendering scores, also didn't help. But 5.3 yards of play, I man, we really set that goal cautiously, you know, with, with, with the five yards of play allowed, and they still didn't hit that. That's, that's pretty bad. I— Look, if you could, I would just fire the defensive staff right now, straight up. Everybody, like all four defensive coaches, would just be gone. You'd fire Odell Haggins. Uh, yeah, I would just wipe it clean. I, I, I think you need a reset over there. Not that I think Odell's doing a bad job, but I think the fit right now. Because I don't, even, I'm not even convinced these dudes are bad coaches. Right? They've done well at other spots, but the fit right now is clearly not working. They are not coaching together. The the different units, the different levels are not playing in concert at all. And that's a a major problem here. It's one of the reasons why, if you believe that this defense could get better, that's probably why you think it could get better, right? Because of of the fact that like, you know there's some talent on this defense. Maybe not as, as much as you'd like in some spots, like a linebacker, but... It's not a hopeless talent situation like it was with the offensive line last year. It, it, it's just not. Like, you put Clements on last year's offensive line, I, I don't think it's a whole lot better, get, given the, the dudes they had get hurt it, it's, and the lack of talent. You didn't have Ryan Roberts last year, although he didn't play the best game necessarily this time.
0: No, look, I mean, you got more than 35 kids, more than 35 four-stars on that side of the ball. It's not a talent issue. Are are, are they, the like you said, are they perfect fits for the? The scheme, are you underrepresented in some places? Absolutely. But you've got all the pieces in the world necessary to have a competent defense. This is this is not a Jimmy's and Joe's conversation. It's a X's and O's or a, a real culture buy-in type of conversation that has to be had around,
1: surrounded the defense. Dude, there's no doubt. I mean, it, it's we know for a fact that, that quality of defensive play tracks a lot more closely with, with the quality of recruiting than does offense? You can scheme your way into a good, a really good offense, actually, without elite recruiting. It's very hard to play elite defense without elite recruiting. Florida State has recruited on, on that side of the ball even better than it has on the offensive side of the ball. They have the talent. This coaching staff is failing these players right now. You know, its backers don't take on blocks. They constantly get picked on in coverage. I think they're probably a little bit too complicated in what they're doing in the run fit game and too simple. In in, in, in in the past coverage game, man, it's it's a mess back there, and I think you're going to make some some pretty average ACC offenses look great uh, down the stretch here, so that's that's not real good. Real briefly about the 3-4 and the move to it,
0: I, I 100% think that Harlan Burnett has coached himself into a place where a dismissal could come at, at any point moving forward. I don't know that that's necessarily something that you're going to be having to wait on the end of the year, but I also think it's worth noting that I've, you know, Harlan Burnett's specialty is not the 3 4. And I think he's fully capable of coaching a lot of these concepts. I'm not saying that, but I don't know that it's the most natural fit. I think you do have a coach who's maybe not that great of a defensive coordinator, full stop, but you've got a not that great of a defensive coordinator trying to implement a scheme that is not his most, uh, historic one that he he's operated with. And when you look at, when you combine that with asking Odell to, uh, coach the entirety of the, the defensive line, which if you move into a three, four, shouldn't be all that transformative of a task for him, but it's still a, a larger role. And then you're, you know, maybe, maybe you have a little bit of a coaching liability at some of the other positions on defense. It's a, it's a horrible mix. And, uh, Again, I think Harlan Barnett will be fired at some point, and it will be justified. But I do have a, uh, an ounce or two of, of, of empathy with him in, in the current situation.
1: I mean, he's also getting paid almost a million bucks. Oh,
0: he's getting paid $980,000 or whatever. So, yeah, he's getting taken care of.
1: So we're, we're going to take one of our questions here right now, and we just won't ask it in the Q&A session, but would you switch back to the 4-3? And I've been thinking about this a lot. So let's just
0: go even man front, odd man front, rather than a 4-3. Because a 4-3 is probably going to be more nickel, 4-2-5 look. So uh, just, just so that we have a, a, an acknowledgement of it, we're not going to be running a traditional 4-3 one way or another.
1: N- not in most of the games coming up, at least. So think about this. Are the reasons that you thought you had to go to a 3-4, do they still exist? Oh they they a hundred percent do.
0: i I don't know that that means you tried to have a coach coach a scheme that he's not as fluent with because you have a a concern about your defensive end. so that that's i hundred percent agree with with what you're saying.
1: Well, right. but uh, yeah, that you I think you're I think we're actually saying the same thing just in different ways. Yes, those concerns still exist. Who are you going to play on the other side? of Kando Robinson. Are you going to start Kando and Robinson on opposite sides if you play the 4-3? Do you really want Leonard Warner or Amari Gaynor to be playing in like a traditional defensive end role? Uh, are you going to have those guys stand up to where you're basically playing, playing an even front, but they're actually, you know, standing up? If so, that pre- that presents different sorts of issues in the run game. But I will say I do think that Kendo and Robinson, so far, have played better than this staff expected them to play. Especially if you had asked like this staff last spring, "Hey, what do you think you'll get out of Kendo and Robinson?" I do not think that they thought these guys were going to play as well as they did. So that to me suggests perhaps you could move back to the to the the, the four man front. Now, I think because of of the lack of coaching here or the lack of belief in the coaching by the players. And obviously the lack of Brian Burns. If you do go back to the 4-3 front, I think you're still going to have your pass rush concerns. But last year, the run fits for the most part with the exception of maybe like a two game stretch were not quite this bad. I would go back. If you're not going to just fire Harlan Burnett and bring in somebody else midseason, which I don't think they'll do. I would go back to what you were doing last year, except that your defense is probably not going to be a top half defense in college football, but also acknowledge that you want to make a bowl game uh, and you do not want to put a defense on there that is kind of in that like 80 range, right? Does that, that seem to make sense to you? I, I, I don't know. Like that's kind of let the coaches coach the scheme that they're most comfortable with, even if it doesn't fit the players, because clearly they have failed to prepare these players in the scheme in which they f- they believed most fit the players. So instead of fitting the scheme to the players, maybe you need to go back and and fit the players to the scheme that the coaches are most comfortable with, which I don't like doing, right? I think coaches who are especially well-paid coaches, like this staff is, is paid well, should be able to fit its scheme to its personnel. Uh, and look, there's an argument that that's the 425 anyway, I guess, with, with, with your backers. Although if Dontavious Jackson is going to play like that and not take on blocks, um, there's not really a scheme that, that asks. Yeah, uh, there's, your there's, there's not a great formation blocks. right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: You were correct. We were, we were more or less in line with thought and train of thought
1: then. Could you get below average defense out of this group? If you go back to a four five, I think it's possible. Can you get to a bowl game? If you can have a below average defense, I think if you stay healthy on offensive line. Yeah, for sure. Um, We'll see what they do. I I would go more youth movement. Um, if you lose the UVA game, you definitely need to go more youth movement. I hate to yeah, I
0: hate to I hate to break it to Seminole Nation, but that's a it's about as bad of a matchup as you could have right now. Which
1: you know who knows? Maybe yeah, they're they're so good at letting you beat yourself, and Florida State's really good at beating itself.
0: Yeah, and they're also gonna casually run for about six six and a half yards a carry. Uh, so.
1: That's that's fun. That's fun. Um, okay. Do you think the team still believes in in Willie?
0: Seems pretty pretty empty at the moment. I don't know, man. I I don't I don't think they do. To be honest with you, and I, I'm not sure there was ever a real uh, collective buy in. I mean, I, I think there was some great some great energy and some great you know some fun. And I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to diminish Willie by saying that, but uh, i I don't know that there's ever been a full buy-in, and I think uh, the way that this season has started, he's maybe cost himself a chance to have some of the the newer aspects of the locker room really fully buy-in.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's the main worry too. It's are are these guys are they going to buy in? Like the the dudes who might be on the fence, the newer guys if they see the old guys not buying in and disrespecting the staff, uh, with their words and, and their behavior, does that trickle down to the young guys? I, I think it probably does. And that's, that certainly has to be a concern of this staff. So, uh, all right. Let me see. Next question we have here. Uh, why not go youth? Why not go youth movement? I think we've already discussed youth movement quite a bit. Ingram you, you touched on the personal fouls beautifully in the, uh, in the instant reaction pod, so I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. But, man, just some really silly personal fouls for a team that actually has improved penalty-wise from where they were last year. Considerably improved, actually. So that was was bad. I like your, your note here in our show outline. 2009 BYU game, similarities in schedule and previous result, and Bronco. You want to hit that?
0: Hey, let's let's <laughs> let's grab some optimism out there. There was ten years ago. Florida State went in Game Three uh, after you know suffering a a pretty silly uh, opener loss, or not a silly loss, but a, a certainly a defeating one. Uh, a win in Game Two that did uh, very little to help the collective fan base and uh, appeared to be walking into a buzzsaw. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it's that we let. Uh, we let Akeem Dent borrow the, the Noel Skype account and he can call up to Montreal and try to learn the, the Greg Reed slingshot play. That was still one of my favorite moments that Greg, uh, somehow avoided a pass interference on that play and, and managed to take it in for six. But, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting little, uh, coincidence and happens to be the team that was coached by the individual that you go and play this week. So maybe some, uh, some optimism to
1: be found in something that happened from 10 years ago. And look, I, I don't think this is a game that Florida State can't win. The, the line is like 7 or 8, depending on where you look. It's not 40, okay? And that's a line that is very quickly adjusted to Florida State underachieving in, in its first two games, especially the last game, right? I mean, the, the Vegas power ratings have already dropped Florida State like five or six points from where they were preseason. And I think they've, up, they've upgraded UVA about a point or two. You know, this this line on the look-ahead preseason was a pick Now it's 7 or 8. It's not like they're like, oh, it's 7 or 8, and they haven't accounted for how bad Florida State is. Now, maybe you could argue they've not fully accounted for how bad Florida State is, and you might not be wrong. However, I do think it's interesting to note, like this is not a game that they can't go and win. We'll have a full show preview with, with a guest. We already have her lined up, so that's pretty sweet. On the next episode, we should probably get to our, uh, our questions here. Uh, the vast majority of which are actually from our Patreon Patreon members. And look, y'all, that is that is your best chance for getting a question into the show. Uh, we've had over 120 email questions uh, this week. I have not had time to go through 120 email questions. So there's a chance that you may have emailed us a question and it was really good. But we do have time to at least look at all the Patreon questions. And no guarantee yours gets answered. But if it's a good one, we'll try to put it in. Obviously, we've already talked about it organically within the course of the show. Uh, then, you know, we're probably not going to re-ask and re-answer it. You want to You want to get to it?
0: Yeah, let's fire off. First one comes from Chase. Chase asks, a pretty simple question. When was the last time Florida State started this season with this incredibly low level of preparation slash level of coaching on the defensive side of the ball?
1: 2009. Let's go back here and pull up the season. I still think I would take this defense over that defense by the way. Would you? Uh, give me give me this game.
0: Let me let me see it one more time. I know that's a cop out answer, but I'm I'm leaning towards no at this point.
1: Uh, so you played you played the Boston College game you gave up 28. Now, Florida State's offense was pe- was playing a much slower pace back then uh, than it was now. So it, it did help to sort of depress some of these scores. And the schedule they played last year within the league was was pretty bad. They gave up 38 in an in uh, opening week loss to Miami. Everybody thought that Miami team was actually pretty good. No, it was, it was pretty bad. That was just a sign that the defense was going to be pretty poor. 19-9, Jacksonville State was the win. They were like in the 90s in defense for a lot of that year. They ended up kind of improving a little bit down the stretch. They they held Maryland to 26. They held Wake to 28. They gave up 40 at Clemson. They barely beat, remember that NC State game, how crazy that was back and forth? They gave up 42 uh, to an NC State team that really wasn't, wasn't that good that year. It wasn't terrible. 27 to North Carolina. 49 to Georgia Tech. Remember that game? That was a slow-paced game, too. It wasn't like there were a million possessions in that one. If you play 16 possessions in that game, Georgia Tech might score 80 on you. Just as far as a points per possession type thing there. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, I don't know, I think 09 is, is the last time there was a comparable defense that started out uh, this poorly. Although, you can argue 20, was it 2016 or 2015 when you gave up 63 to Louisville and it could have been 80 because the defense just quit. Was that fifteen? I uh, believe that was fifteen. No, wait. That might have been. That might have been sixteen because it was. It was definitely a DeAndre year. And fifteen was not. Fifteen was was McGuire Golson. So I think it had to be sixteen.
0: Uh yeah, it had to be sixteen because we play there on even years. So you're right. It was sixteen.
1: Okay, so yeah, uh, Chase, the answer to your question, I think, is 09 unless you want to count 16, although that was really more of a, a shorter stint within that season. And some promise notes fixed everything.
0: Didn't they? Boy, didn't they? Absolutely.
1: All right, I want to thank Resolution Home Loans for their sponsorship of NOLCast. Resolution Home Loans is the place to go. If you need a home loan, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUhomeloans.com com will get you hooked up with Shannon Young. Shannon's the best guy in the loan business, I should know. I did my home loan for him. They literally were the best option. I looked at a number of other companies. They gave me the best rate, awesome customer service. Again, fsuhomeloans.com. Check them out. You won't be sorry. Uh, Larry, what does the program need to do to bounce back this year? Fire
0: the defense coordinator, go youth movement to hold on to recruits, uh, go youth movement to hold on to recruits, or something else?
1: Well, it, it depends on what you mean bounce back, right? Like if bounce back is to win nine games, that's probably not going to happen at this point since you lost the Boise game. Um, they, the most important thing they can do is figure out what sort of run fits and pass defense they can teach to this group that will allow this group to play with confidence, aggression, and speed. Right now it's very clear they play slow out there, they think too much, and they're not physical. On defense especially in the back seven Uh, so whatever they can get the whatever they can teach that they feel they can teach that the group can actually absorb and play at a high speed right not three quarter speed in in practice when you're just going over it but actually when you rep it that, that, that they can they can master that to at least get back to being like a below average defense that would be the absolute biggest thing so yeah i think that's That's the the, the biggest thing now, whether that's by firing the defense coordinator or maybe taking Mark Snyder, the defense coordinator. He's been at D.C. before. Uh, You still have the issue, right? Like, is Barnett going to work well with Woody and Snyder and Odell? Clearly, they're not working together right now. Like, that's my biggest takeaway from all this is that none of the parts of the defense are working in concert at all. With the defensive tackles probably being the best. Chase asks, like the Tomahawk Nation article on the linebackers, if we go back to a four-two-five and play McRae and Noss as the linebackers, do you think it would make any real difference? It could be an upgrade, but it could also be a downgrade, I would say. Who are you going to play at safety then if, if you move Noss up? I think Noss has actually done a decent job for you there at, at, at safety. Um, I,
0: I might say that National Dean's been your best defensive player this year. And that's not a – that's not a- – <laughs> That's not a glowing compliment, but uh, he—he's been one of the few things that you've had any ounce of consistency from. Yeah, he's also forced a lot of fumbles. Two games, small sample set, but when anytime you got three out of
1: two, you're doing all right. That is true. All right. Uh, Wilson asks. I know this probably sounds a little dramatic, uh, but what point does this program become so bad it could become irrelevant for ten years or so? Four. And then uh, one of the commenters said, "I love this question." Seems like it'll all be impossible as long as uh, Clemson, UGA, and Bama sit atop at the, the college football world. I like that you included the the comment in here too because I think this is completely. These two things are just largely unrelated. Florida State is not bad right now because Clemson, UGA, and Alabama are are more committed to winning and, and are on top of college football. Florida State does not have to compete for a national championship to be relevant in college football, right? I, I think that they easily could get back to being relevant, and then still have a large gap between what what Clemson, UGA, and Bama are doing. I think Florida right now is pretty competent on the field, and yet the gap between them and, and those schools we just mentioned, especially on the recruiting trail, is is a chasm. And I don't know. I, I just I thought that was interesting there. But yeah, they're a long way from competing for a national title. I don't think the the flip back to getting this, this team to you know, to where bowl games are pretty automatic and to where you are usually the second or third or best team in the ACC is is fairly automatic either. I don't know. Is that does that make sense?
0: I yeah it certainly makes sense and I somewhat understand what the uh the questioners asking and the comment follow up as well. Yeah, I mean, look, what I think keeps you from Tennessee is that you're not in Tennessee. You don't have to rely on Tennessee. Where's Tennessee going to go get kids? South Carolina? The Albert Haynes of the world? No, they're not. The Kosi Coleman, Jamal Lewis, uh, Dion Grant lynchpin that was so critical in their 98 team. Where did they all came from? They came from the state of Georgia. You're not getting those kids right now if you're Tennessee. Uh, if you're Florida State and you have your house somewhat in collective order – you you can still go and recruit kids from the state of Florida. Now are Bama, Georgia, Clemson all gonna sign some. Yeah, they certainly will, but you'll at least have a place where you can go. And I agree with what you're saying about not everybody being looped together. I will say this. UGA does if UGA being on top of the college football world, that is a that does have a direct impact on Florida. And it does somewhat put a little bit of a, of a governor on what they can do. So uh, if you want to try to tie those together, Andy, I see where you're coming from, and that's,
1: uh, that would be my
0: response to what you were saying.
1: Your point about the, the ability to get talent is, is just so dead on, right? Florida State can get back quickly because it can get talent. Okay, Vinay asks, uh, what has happened to the offense in the second half? I have stopped expecting any help from the defense for the rest of the season. Probably smart. Uh, and figure FSU has to score 45 or more points to beat a Power 5 team. Again, maybe smart. It is only two games in against questionable uh, teams relative to what we'll face in conference games. Outside the offense going lights out on someone, I struggle to see another non-ASU win on the schedule. Please tell me I'm wrong. Well, yeah, I, I definitely think he's wrong. This team is not going to go 2-10. What is happening to the offense in the second half? Well, like we discussed earlier in the show, it's really not just a second half thing it's after the first quarter thing. So I, I think Kendall Bryles is coming out with some really good game plans early that is getting some defenses off, basically off off balance, catching them off guard. Uh, and then they're adjusting to those things, and then they're basically beating Florida State up front a lot. Like that's kind of what I saw in this game. But I also saw James Blackman miss some throws, uh, maybe some miscommunications with his receivers. And just – Turnovers in this game were were a huge deal, right? They had three critical turnovers in in, in this game in the last three quarters, and that really, really hurt them. They weren't necessarily stopped that many times in the second half on drives that did not end in a turnover, correct? I'm pulling up the drive chart here. So within the second half, uh, Florida State, they had two punts. They they had two touchdowns, two punts, and then – they did have a punt towards the very very end of the game, so three three punts, two touchdowns, but but two picks and a fumble, right? And then three touch. Obviously, the touchdown in overtime. But that's not in the second half. That's that's a different period, in my opinion. Um, if they don't have those 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 turnovers, they might end up being okay in scoring, you know, forty five points or so in regulation, as opposed to needing overtime to do so even if you cut down on the turnovers a little bit we also should note here Florida State uh their turnover margin was negative 2 their expected turnover margin was actually positive right that's based on fumbles and passes defense for each team uh, Florida State had some poor fumble luck in this game and uh and it failed to come down with picks when you know the other team uh caught its picks so anyway i I don't think this game should have been quite as close as it was, but even if it played out kind of like you would have expected, right, with some more neutral turnover luck and Florida State wins by, I don't know, 12, 13 points in, in regulation, that, that's still too close for my liking. Let's take the, uh, the next one here. Oh, uh, Vinay actually has a good one here. I recall Bud said Willie and Bryle's teams play well with a the lead. Their defenses are set for working with big leads, and hence why they end up getting outscored in the second half uh, what level of large lead do they need to uh, enable the current defense to actually play to its strengths like the secondary i think yeah um well we did think this defense would work better with a large lead because it wouldn't have to have such a run pass conflict which is something these backers do not handle very well right and the offense can keep scoring when it has a large lead in theory because when it goes to run the ball the defense gets sucked up and they should be able to hit some deep shots what has happened so far is a they've not hit any deep shots when they've had these big leads they need to do that you protect your defense with points I, i'm a firm believer in that now defensively what has largely happened is that the defense has been kind of bad throughout almost every quarter and so it wasn't really like oh they, they had the recipe uh, and then they collapsed it was the opponent screwed up right with, with we know that turnovers are not all luck but there's a really good amount of luck when it comes to turnovers. Um, Boise would have scored a lot more points had they not shot themselves in the foot a little bit in the red zone and had turnovers there um, in the first half. Uh, You want to take Andrews?
0: Yeah, Andrew asks uh, Before firing coaches, scheme issues, and cultural problems, what would need to happen to get a systematic change in administration? We are reluctant to pay assistance, as evidenced by Barnett and Bill being Willie Taggart's, Barnett and Bell being Willie Taggart's fourth or fifth choices, and slow to add analyst C. Jim Levitt. I feel as though the admin believes our logo will attract the best coaches and recruit the best players, but it has become obvious that's not the case. If we fire Willie Taggart at the end of the season, then the rest of the admin needs to go with him. Is there any accountability at Moore? Also, is, uh, excuse me, also if Willie Taggart is fired, when is the best time to do it considering the early signing period? I'm almost to the point of apathy.
1: Well, I think a lot of people are at the point of apathy. We should note here that you nailed the attendance. Uh, you were like... A 1,000 people closer than I was. Uh, you had 51,000, I had 56,000. They announced 52, nine. So congrats to you, sir. Look, here's the, there. there's some truth in this and, and and there's some not truth, right? Was Bell the fourth or fifth choice? I don't think so. I think he was probably a little closer to, to the top, but not clearly the top. We, we know that, that he wanted to bring some dudes from Oregon there. Barnett, again... Could have been the fourth or fifth choice. I think that's possible. The ad analyst Levitt thing. Look, Florida State was expecting Levitt to come. A lot of different schools courted Levitt. It wasn't like Florida State lost out to another school for Jim Levitt. Jim Levitt decided he didn't want to work as an analyst and wanted to spend time with his mom, who was like 96. If you look at his Twitter account, He's constantly posting pictures with his mom. He's like, "Oh my god!" He's I doing got to it. To- he,
0: it's it's not it's not Urban Meyer going to watch watch his girlfriend or his, his girlfriend. Excuse me. It's not Urban Meyer going to watch his daughters play volleyball.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Which was his famous uh, famous line of thought, and rarely, if ever, followed up on. But at, at least as far as I know, I mean,
1: I I lived in Fort Myers, and his daughter played at FGCU. So,
0: well, and the other one was playing at Georgia Tech at the time, and Urban wasn't up on North Avenue all that often. I can I can tell you that much.
1: All right. Uh, I feel as though the admin believes our logo will attract the best coaches, best players, but it's become obvious. It's not the case. If we fire Willie Taggart at the end of the season, then the rest of the admin needs to go with him. Uh, is there any accountability at more? Look, Andrew, none of this is going to happen, right? They have a plan in place here. John Thrasher is going to be the president for probably what we think about another year, maybe. And then, when they get a new president, the new president is going to want a new athletic director because the guy they have right now, he's not technically an interim, but he's basically, he's sort of a, I don't call him a mercenary, but he's, he's come in with a purpose, and that is to get the budget back right because it was really out of whack. He's had to give a pretty major haircut to all the programs across the board. Florida State's not really spending like a, like a big-time contender right now. It's trying to get its budget back in, back in check. To me, it doesn't make any sense to fire Willie Taggart at the end of the season, even if he misses the bowl game, because I got to tell you, I don't think the lost money in ticket revenue is is offset, like is is greater than than the budget. It's not like you make that much money from season tickets. You don't. Your main thing is TV money. I don't think firing would be a good choice. Now, if he says, "Hey, I want to fire Harlan Burnett," I know he's got a year left on his deal, and I want to bring in this coordinator at 1.5 million i bet you can get some boosters to pony up one and a half million for a dc even if if and we have a question about this coming up but even if it might be hard to convince a guy to come come here if it's a uh you know lame duck type situation i don't disagree that if things keep going the way they are that it very well could be but you know you look at this man financially i don't think you're in a position to fire a coach right now i think it actually would be smarter to sit through another bad season in in 2020 present a situation to a new coach for 2021 of, hey, we're going to be patient with you. You're going to have time to rebuild the roster. We're not expecting immediate results. And by the way, you don't have a situation with a bunch of uh, knuckleheads on the roster and you don't have a situation where your APR is literally dead last in the entire nation uh, so that you can't cut kids you don't like or, or don't want to buy into your system. And by the way, the budget is in a better place than it was, so we're not going to hit you with a bunch of surprise budget cuts. Uh, so they're not going to fire the admin uh, if they need to fire Willie really Tiger. That's, that's, that's silly.
0: Yeah. Well, there, there is no real admin to fire, unfortunately. I mean, you, you pointed it out. You're not going to fire Coburn, not the individual.
1: Who's uh, doing the job is like a favor anyway. You're not going to fire I mean, like, yourself. You still need to be, do that right. job.
0: Which a lot of these, yeah. So it's a, it's a tough situation. Definitely. Uh, I do think one really interesting thing that he brought up and this is kind of serving up a uh, fastball over the middle part of plate for you. Uh, but with the idea of early signing period and its impact, we, it, I'm not saying there's a perfect time to fire a coach, but uh, is there even kind of an aisle, ideal window of time to do that uh, as far as what you've seen over the first couple of years of this?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually have an article coming out uh, probably Wednesday or Thursday. Make, make sure you subscribe to the Banner Society newsletter. It's free. Just go to thebannersociety.com and you, you can get our newsletter. about. All the struggles of these of these second year coaches, the the, the coaching class that was that, that was hired in the first year of the early signing period. I, I think it's affected their first the first classes they've signed, which are across the board not real good, and probably even worse than a normal first year class. Uh, and then also it's affected their ability to hire assistants. Right, if you didn't get your your first choice, the guy you thought you could bring with you, it was very tough to get dudes to come and. A lot of coaching hire uh, mistakes were made. And we've already seen this at Tennessee, right? Where they had to, had to get rid of an office coordinator after just one year, just like Florida State did. It's, it's happening a lot of different places. So be sure to check that out. I'm actually going to finish writing that uh, tomorrow or Tuesday, depending on when you listen to this. All right, thank you to Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Travis is a new sponsor this year. He's a board-certified family law attorney. Only about 280 of those in the entire state out of more than 10,000 attorneys. He has over a decade of experience. In divorce, custody, guardianship, military, family law, a variety of other family law matters, you can reach him at 850 435 9919. Again, that's 850 435 9919. Office Pensacola, but clients throughout the state, he will come to you. Chris asks, Is it reasonable to suggest that Barnett be fired immediately, or would the coaching staff change be impossible mid season? Levitt is available right now. Again, with the Jim Levitt stuff, do we know that Jim Levitt actually wants to coach this year? Because a lot of different schools tried to hire him. A lot of schools that have more money than Florida State tried to hire him. And he's not coaching. He's hanging out with his mom and putting stuff on Instagram like, oh, how cool it is I'm, you know, here with 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 my mom and my son and, and you know, three generations of Levitt, blah, blah, blah. Which is really cool, right? The guy's financially set. He doesn't need the paycheck necessarily. You could fire Barnett right now, yeah. Now who would replace him? I think that'd be a pretty Pretty big deal. Uh, You wouldn't want to just bring in anybody. You could technically, I guess, demote him and make Mark Snyder the DC uh, if if you wanted to do that. That causes all sorts of like institutional issues, and you know who who knows how that goes. Uh, But yeah, it's not impossible.
0: Would you? uh, What'd you make of the analyst posting
1: today? They well, they had one, and then he left. So. It's is it an analyst or is it a QC guy? I think it's quality control. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm pretty Don't sure they worded it, in front it of as, me. as as quality control. Um, look, if they can get him to come in, that'd be awesome. But I'm I'm not I'm not convinced that that, that they can do that. All right. Uh, maybe you get access. one thing I would be interested in. If you're quality control, do you have to you have to work in the facility? cuz we know some coaches out there who are sort of blacklisted for behavioral purposes or whatever are working as quality control guys kind of off the books or through a corporation that is you know kind of a shell and they get a laptop and they they log in and they evaluate the practice film and and they they note things and and they do advanced scouting and um, there's some of that stuff going on without you actually having to be in the building. Some of these guys are actually not allowed in the building because of things they've done. That would be a pretty bad uh, PR deal. I'm sure you can figure out some of the coaches that I'm talking about there.
0: Yeah. And to follow up on the conversation we were just having, but we're, we're actually both correct. It is titled quality control analyst.
1: Yeah. Um, there's certain things I can't say about that right, right this second.
0: I uh, I don't know what you're referring to. That's honest. I'm not playing playing radio here, but I'll put it this way. Uh, I don't like sometimes jobs get posted where if you have somebody that's a friend at the company or in the industry, you'll call them and say like, "Hey, is this a legitimate job posting, or is the job just posted with the idea that they already have somebody in mind and they're posting it because you have to go through this process." I don't think this is just a random posting. I think, again, I'm not saying Jim Levitt's coming to Tallahassee, but I I think they have some somebody in in mind, and for legal reasons, you have to post stuff like that.
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, a couple more here, and then we'll we'll probably hit some more. I may do a Twitch show uh, this week as well. Uh, you can follow us on, on Twitch.com or Twitch.tv/slash NoCast if you want to see more Q and A stuff. Trey says, the staff seem, appeared reluctant to make changes last year. None of us are in a locker room or on a practice field, but some changes appear obviously easy to make. They didn't make them last year, and it doesn't look like they're willing to make them this year so far. Um, at this point, can we really expect to see changes such as the youth movement, playing less zone on defense, et cetera? Well, uh, and the continue, sorry. To me, it appears the only major change that can be made is to fire Burnett and either hire Levitt or let Snyder be the D.C. Is this possible mid-year? We already answered that. If we assume the taggart isn't, error isn't going to work, what is the best FSU course of action with finance, recruiting, and not scaring off other coaches? If they go, side, if they go sub 500, uh, does the scare off other coaches' reason become less important as potential coaching hires would understand the results were unacceptable? All right, well, first of all, I, I don't think they were reluctant to make changes, right? Like, that's not really one of the criticisms I, I had of this staff, and I don't think you did either, right? Like, they did make a lot of changes in season last year to what they were running, they clearly are willing to make changes in the off season the coaching staff with walt bell uh, and he wasn't going to be welcome back if he had not taken the umass job they went out they got kendall briles they anticipated that they were going to have really poor edge play and that they needed to go ahead and move to a three four because they didn't have the defensive ends to play in a four-man front uh, so they they made that change I, i don't think the lack of willingness to make changes is is really the the criticism here i think that uh not making the changes that actually worked is a very less or a very legitimate criticism playing less zone on defense they already played a little less zone on defense this year and especially in in the second game as far as going from second to the first uh if we assume that uh sorry the the other question here was what is the best course of action well, I think we already answered this one too. I just think for financial reasons, I would just eat. Like, even if you think he's a total lame duck, I would just eat twenty twenty. What are you going to sell assets off? Yeah, it's a, you can't
0: do that, and that, and that's about the only way that you come to start buying people out at this point in time. You can, you can't sell. You can't have this thing in mind where you're trying to endow scholarships. You're trying to have this catch up project and have your catch up project be buying off your head coach. You just as an organization, you can't do it. I will think that maybe Trey's referencing that you didn't make some changes as far as tied to the culture. You didn't sit down your quarterback. Nooney Murray continued to be Oh yes, uh, Nooney Murray. I, I think that just just uh, maybe I'm reading something that's not there, but I, I think maybe that is what he's referring to.
1: Well, if that's what he's referring to, then I just misread his question. And yeah, I totally agree with him. Uh, we, we, we criticized him for that last year. That, that's something that I think they were talking about out of both sides of their mouth. Ryan asks an interesting extension of the question about coach firing. He basically says, if you did fire this staff, could you actually afford to fire this staff and then still afford to go out and get elite coaching? Which is part of the equation. Because whoever you go and get is probably going to have a buyout attached to themselves as well. So, like when you were saying the other day. It's part of the figure I
0: listed two, two shows ago. Uh, that, that's somewhat built into that. You, you need around $23, 24000000 liquid before you start to have this conversation or at least a dedicated 23 or 24 million that you know is coming in within three years that you can parcel out and maybe you don't have to have 24 liquid at the time but you've got to have a uh a mapped out guide as to where that's coming over the course of two
1: to three years and probably like what 25 over five probably somewhere in that area yeah Yeah. i mean that's not easy to do
0: Connor asks so. – Just floating, I don't mean to interrupt you, bud. I've seen this floating around both in our inbox and in some of these questions. I don't know if it's legally prohibitive. I think it may be, but I don't want to say it is. But you cannot take funds that have been pledged to the football-only facility and divert that other – that is a big major no-no. Can't do it. Can't begin to discuss that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i not even saying that in our inbox, so that shows you how much I've checked our email this week. Been been fairly busy o- over here.
0: We we we've had some questions about if funds pledged to the football only
1: facility can be diverted, and no,
0: sir, they absolutely cannot.
1: Uh, with MJ's question, he basically asks uh, how much is the APR holding Willie back. We we discuss this a lot, but the one thing it does not prevent him from doing it doesn't prevent him from benching guys, right? Like the APR may prevent you from you know convincing somebody not to transfer, but it does not prevent you from uh, from benching them. I think we'll end on on Chris's question. How does this rank for the worst program wins? That's kind of fun. The worst program wins. How does it compare to Samford 2018, Jacksonville State 2009, or Troy 06? So I would say the first two don't really compare because ULM is like, they're a legitimate FBS team and they're not a bottom 10 FBS team, right? They're not a good team. They're not even a below average team. They're a bad team, but they're not in that like, UMass Bowling Green UTEP level of, of teams. I don't think. In fact, I can tell you, even following this game, exactly where I have them power rated. Yeah, I have I have them as a top ninety five team, so they're not in that that bottom thirty range. Uh, so to me, that 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 DQ Sanford and Jack State as comps. The Troy two thousand six game though, right? Troy was FBS in two thousand six, weren't they? Um, I be- believe they were. So yeah, I, I think that that's a that's a, a pretty good comp. It
0: is a uh, good comp as far as the team. The comparisons that I'll make to Sanford 2018 is in this, and that uh, my lowest point last year was the Sanford game and after it, because I knew it was game two, and uh, I knew that maybe there were some areas where we'd see some dramatic uptick, and it didn't happen. And to me, after that ULM game, uh, if you believe in the idea that you do have a pretty decent chance to improve from week one to week two which is statistically borne out and probably a good thing to believe in to see that not happen two years in a row in game two was a a really uh hard thing to watch and a hard kind of acceptance to make about uh the program and the product on the field so in that regard I, i will compare it to
1: 2018 can i uh can i ask you this is kind of a light note to end the show on did you see the Jeremy Pruitt Titanic quotes?
0: <laughs> uh, it's shocking that uh, that Captain Asparagus would just say something absolutely ridiculous in a in a metaphorical standpoint.
1: Is Sexton his
0: is Sexton his agent? He's got to be. I mean, that would be the biggest shocker in the world if that guy did one one repped by Sexton, right? With all the with all the background there.
1: Yeah, I I, I think so. So. I have a a question, right? Like, last week, you had the hydration comments. And this week, we had the Titanic comments. Willie's a Sexton client, unless something changed. Pruitt is a Sexton client, it looks like, from a quick Google search here. Do you think Jimmy is telling them, like, hey, all right, Willie, this week, it's your turn to say something absolutely outrageous. Jeremy just lost at home to Georgia State. It's probably the worst loss in the history of Tennessee you got to wear this one this week. And then if you guys struggle with Louisiana Monroe, which you probably shouldn't do, the Tennessee fans are already going to be pissed. They really can't get that much more pissed if they lose to BYU. It's not, not that crazy to think BYU would be a loss. So, Jeremy, we're going to need you to basically compare the Tennessee program to the city of the Titanic, right? And then that'll take a little bit of heat nationally, at least, off Willie and, and, and the guys in Tallahassee. So, um, maybe this week. I don't know. Like, is there another struggling Sexton client out there?
0: Maybe that would that would be some uh, that would be some real devotion to your agent and some real uh, absolute buy-in. By the way, we've confirmed again, not that it's a shocker, but we have confirmed that uh, Sexton isn't is in fact uh, the official representative of Jeremy Pruitt. So, yeah, yeah, always a good idea to go and compare your. Uh, your kids to vermin too.
1: You know what I'm saying? <laughs> compares the kids to rats. <laughs> compares the program to the Titanic. Did you see the uh, the thing where um, I, I forgot who it was on Twitter? I want to give him credit, but I, I I'm not seeing who it is. Uh, they took and they took the um, "My Heart Will Go On" Titanic song and put it over a montage of Pruitt. And the burning uh, ship in the Tennessee Ball uh, Navy. I
0: I saw parts of that. I I either had to click out uh, because of life, but I didn't realize that they spliced Pruitt in there as well. I just knew that they had put it over that that burning ship out on the Tennessee River. So uh, credit credit for whoever had the ingenuity to do that. All right, folks, we'll be back for a UVA preview. Fun times ahead. Appreciate the listen. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you to all our Patreon supporters, our uh, sponsors and you guys the listeners. Uh tough as this may be, we look forward to doing it again in 2 days and appreciate all the support we've received.